Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, and in case I don't see you, I can't use that catchphrase because somebody already stole it from me. Jim Carrey used to be awesome. He's kind of fallen off of the wackadoo end lately. No, no, I'm not going to venture any opinions about celebrities today. None whatsoever on any celebrity. I don't even care about celebrities. I don't know what's happening in the world. Okay, anyways, our guest for today is none other than Rich Hosek. He's published books. He's produced a podcast. You can find his stuff all over the place and everything that you want, Rich Hosek-wise, there's a link for it in my show notes. Click around, buy the books. You really want to buy these books, buy them. But if you want to listen to it for free, check out his podcast. There's also free short stories there. Don't miss out on all of this great content from Rich. Click the show notes and get browsing. Rich has written for numerous television series with his partner, Arnold Rudnick, including The Fresh Prince of Bel-Air. No opinions shall be mentioned about anybody on that show. I like Aunt Vivian. Okay, there's one opinion. That's as far as I'm willing to go. Okay, Rich also, with his partner Arnold, worked on Star Trek Voyager. You're going to hear me make a huge gaffe in this show. So I want to say right now that I, I watched Voyager, and I think it's amazing. I also watched Enterprise, and I like Scott Bakula. So let's just get that stuff out of the way right now. It'll make more sense later. Finally, Rich and his partner Arnold worked on the new Adams Family, for which they won a Leo Award for Best Writing for Comedy or Variety. More recently... He's been focusing his efforts on novels and short stories. He's a fan of Legos and Doctor Who. And now that there's a Doctor Who Lego set, his life is complete. You're going to love the show. I don't want to hold you up anymore. We're going to dive right into the interview. But let me do ask you, if you enjoy what we're doing here at Create Collaborate, me and my podcast co-host, Chewy, hit subscribe wherever you're listening to podcasts. It'll help you catch every episode every week and the bonus episodes. I, I release bonus episodes most weeks. And please tell a friend about it. I want as many writers to get this opportunity to hear the show, to enjoy the show, to tell me what I'm doing wrong, to tell me what I could do better, what I can do right, what I am doing right. And last but not least, I have in the works a free literary agent guide that will teach you how to get your literary agent, in the next 90 days. If you're interested in getting that, all you need to do is go to the show notes in the app you're listening on, click on the link that says sign up, and give me your email address. I will send you that literary agent guide for free as soon as I have it, and I don't sell your email addresses unless I go broke, in which case, I'm really sorry. I had to do it. You understand? No, I'm kidding. I would never sell your, 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 your email address. And I won't spam you with emails either. I'll only send you interesting content like free literary agent guides. Please enjoy this show with Rich Hosack. Welcome to Create Collaborate, the show for creative writers aspiring to publish their first book. My name is Jody Sperling, and I'm determined to help you whether you self-publish or storm the gated walls of agents and editors. Today, you'll be hearing from an industry expert on how they made the leap from unpublished to published and how you can do it too. That started off as a sort of a made-for-TV movie script that I wrote with my television writing partner almost three decades ago. It was a long time ago. Yeah. We had, uh, he had actually started working on it with someone he had met, a parapsychologist. 
Um, and they had come up with like sort of like this buddy cop kind of type of concept for, you know, a, a cop and a parapsychologist to investigate cases who have kind of like a paranormal bent to them. Okay. And then yeah, at that point, I was starting to write scripts with my writing partner, Arnold Rundick. And uh, he brought that to me and said, are you interested in like maybe developing this further? And so we did. Uh, and we made some changes to it. We changed one of the characters to a female character. We changed the name of it. We introduced some other characters and it uh, turned out to be a really, really uh, great experience and a great script. And we shopped it around, but people kept saying, oh, you know, paranormal stuff like this isn't going to mm. sell. And they turned us down. And then like, you know, a few months later, um, X-Files came out. And of course, <laughs> they discovered that that sold, that sold just fine. But then by then, we were like the second comer, right? We were the ones who were, ah, oh, this is too much like X-Files. It's like, well, it wasn't like six months ago. So <laughs> it would... It kind of like fell into the proverbial drawer. Mm -hmm. And then uh, a couple of years ago, when I started deciding uh, that I was going to write novels that, uh, you know, had, had, you know, something I'd been doing for years, like starting them and never finishing them. And I said, you know what, this would be a great, a great sort of premise for a series of books. And I contacted Arnold and Lloyd and said, would you guys be interested in collaborating with me on this? And they of course were eager to do so. So we went through the process of like saying, okay, how do we take this story to a novel? And I proposed some changes. They made some suggestions and uh, rewrote the first book and uh, we won an award for it, which was really very, very uh, um, sort of gratifying in that regard. Yeah. Congrats. And, uh, and we've got plans for, you know, the next two books are kind of mapped out here and we got one coming out in a few months. And so hopefully that will be something that uh, I can keep on working on in perpetuity in addition to the stuff I'm working on by myself. Let's stay here for just a minute because I'm really interested in how you uh, separate the roles in collaborating on this writing project. So it is a, a very unique situation because the stories are inspired by Lloyd's work. So he's okay. a working parapsychologist. He actually has a degree in parapsychology and he has written several books and he's got lots of case studies. And so we kind of like drew on that as the basis for the story of the book. And also this, the character itself, because he also had studied anthropology. He's an amateur magician. And all of those kind of aspects turned into a really interesting character, especially when we made her female. Yeah. And then, so we, we kind of just, it was, it was kind of an interesting process. We, when we wrote this script, we originally wrote it for a male character. We were visioning someone like Anthony Edwards. And then mm -hmm. we said, you know, this could work better as a female. And then we can have some sexual tension between them. And we just basically went through and changed all the pronouns and the names and then people complimented us for writing such a strong female character. And that kind of like, you know, woke us up to like, gosh, wow, you know, that's the kind of prejudices that people have when they're writing a character. And if we just write a character that we want to write, regardless of the sex, give her all of the characteristics that we would want a strong character to have, that we're going to write a successful character regardless of the sex. So Lloyd was, Lloyd was the inspiration for that. And he's the source material for a lot of the cases. Arnold was my television writing partner, and we co-wrote the screenplay together. And then when it came time to do the novel, I did most of the grunt work on that. Okay. I was, I was really into that. I, I find I can do like a couple thousand words a day and really turn it out in a sort of a timely fashion there. Yeah. And so I, I wrote most of the first draft, gave it to them to look at. They gave me notes, suggestions. We worked on the story, found out what parts didn't work, and then went back and did the rewrites and so forth. So it was, it was mostly me doing a lot of the novel writing itself, but the source material was a lot of Lloyd. And then Arnold served as sort of like my, more than just my editor. 
I mean, mm. you know, it's nice to have an editor, but he was more of an editor who felt, who had permission to really change the story if it needed it. Point out parts that like, oh, this isn't, this is taking away from the strong character people, stuff like mm. that. I am so enamored by what you are doing in every way. I want novelists in many ways to go in this direction generally. And I think it's one area where um, visual media, film, TV, uh, even great stuff on, on YouTube, like hot ones uh, is uh, clearly a collaboration. You have multiple people working on writing a story. You have multiple people throwing ideas back and forth. Um, the workshop feel of a story is so good. And I think my experience tells me that these works tend to be stronger, if I'm being honest. Now, there are some great solo authors out there who will bristle at me saying that. And there are some great solo authors who just keep doing what you're doing because Blood Meridian is always going to be uh, an amazing novel. And he wouldn't let anybody touch that with a 10 foot pole. Yeah. Um, so I, I really, I really love that process. And, and well, that comes and that comes from my television days too. When I was working in television, you know, uh, you would normally work with a room full of writers. You know, a writer would take a, a writer or two would crack, take a crack at the first draft, but then after that, it was like everybody sort of contributing, saying, "Hey, what about this?" Especially comedies. In comedy, you need that collaborative thing. It's really rare that someone can sit down and, in isolation, write a really funny script. It, it's done from time to time, but when you have all of these different voices contributing and channeling the characters inside the room like that, it really does, I think, create a better work. And so coming from that background, it's really easy for me to accept ideas from Arnold and Lloyd when we're working on this story to say, Hey, how about this? Or, Hey, you shouldn't do that. Or, you know, parapsychologists, this is the way we talk about these types of things. And so it really sort of makes it more authentic to me. And it, I think it just makes it more successful now in the long run. Um, one of the fears that people have in doing this collaborative process is that uh, it won't be as bold as their uh, original vision. What would you say to them about that fear? I, I think that's an irrational fear, to be honest. I, I think anything that people can give you to make something better is take it. It's, it's free value that you can add to your work. You don't always have to take it. But to close yourself off to that, to not accept that some people have good ideas. I mean, I, you know, I'm sure you've been in the process, in the situation where you've let somebody read something and they say, oh, hey, you should do this. And you go, yeah, that's a great idea. I'm going to do that. And so those are the moments where you kind of like pick things up from real life. And that becomes a more authentic, I think. I think that really gives your yeah. work an air of realism and authenticity that people can relate to. How about the other fear that people have about collaborations, especially with writing, is that you're going to get um, the lead singer syndrome, lead singer syndrome from like a band is that uh, everybody remembers Kurt Cobain, but unless what happened there happened, nobody knows uh, Dave Grohl playing the drums because he's kind of backing this, this personality and everything. That's not the truth, but talk to me a little bit about that in collaboration. How do each of you get the attention that you deserve? I think it's, I'm in a very fortunate situation that my collaborators are not at all worried about that. They're, they are like, in fact, you know, they were kind of hesitant to put their names on the book and I had to insist on them. No, you guys deserve equal credit for this. You guys are, this novel would not exist without your contributions, without your help, without your input. And so I'm really lucky in that regard that they are, uh, 
I guess if, if I'm the lead singer in this case, I'm like, no, we're not, you know, Buddy Holly and the Crickets. We're the Crickets. Yeah, I like that a lot. So we did we did uh, talk about having you on to discuss something that you do that I personally think is a marketing miracle. It's a, a, a stroke of genius. And so I want to give due time uh, to that. And I'm making a bit of a hard shift to talk a little bit about your uh, audiobook version of the novels and introduce that to the listeners first, and then let's unwrap it from there. Well, let me start that off by explaining why I'm, I'm recording my own audiobooks and some audio stories as well. I had actually, I'm a big fan of audiobooks. I listen to them all the time. It's, I feel it's, it's a great way to get extra reading in, which is really important for a writer to get as much reading in as possible. Very. When I'm driving, when I'm running, when I'm walking the dog, I can listen to books. And one I stumbled upon was uh, a science fiction book by a, an author named Scott Sigler. And he was, I didn't realize it till the end, but he was doing his own narration. It was, he had written the book and then the narration at the end and the afterward, he was kind of explaining his process and that he had been podcasting his books for years, you know, recording the books and podcasting them. And like, you know, he made a little joke about how, you know, people criticize him for the way he does his female characters. They sound too much like Monty Python characters and stuff like that. And, but, but what I liked about it was that it really brought a lot to the story. You know, mm. when you've got the author's voice behind the narration, then you know you're getting what the author intended. Even if they're not the best narrator in the world, you're still going to get that extra level of attention to the important parts of the story and the characters. Yeah. So listening to him to do that, and then, I, of course, I looked up his podcast, and I found out what he was doing. And I said, can I do this? Am, do, am I talented enough to do this? I, I, of course, you think, no, no way. You, you have to hire someone who does this for a living. But I, I said, okay, I'm going to give it a try. Because, you know, I'd read stories to my son for years. And I had always tried to use, like, different voices for the characters and things like that. And so avoiding making it too silly, I, I gave it a shot. I, you know, got myself a microphone. I got myself, you know, read some tutorials on how to do it. And I spent some time in my office just recording the book which took days and days and days and then more weeks editing it and then cut it into chapters, uploaded it to the, um, the ACX audio exchange. Mm -hmm. Okay. And I had an audio book. Yeah. Which is and phenomenal. Then, yeah. And then, you know, and then I you know, written some short stories and I recorded those as well. And I put those onto the podcast. Now I hadn't done the podcast at that point. This was like about a year ago. And it was this year that I sort of decided that, you know what? It's kind of a long time in between books. It's like, you know, yeah. I hope to do like at least two books a year. I'd love to do three. Mm. But I'm thinking when I'm reading it, when I find an author I like, I like to just read the next book, right? The next one. Yes. Yeah. And sort of binge that writer. And when there's nothing to binge, it's like, I feel like it's a missed opportunity. So I thought, if I could give people who like my books, even the, if the people who just read it, uh, someplace where they could get more of my writing in between books, mm. and then also serialize the audiobooks like Scott Segler was doing, mm. then maybe I've got some way to sort of hold on to those readers for that period in between releases. So I decided this year I was going to record one story a week, and you know, about two to 3,000 words long, records in about 15 to 20 minutes. And I, I said, let's see if I can do this every week. And mm. so far this year, I've been fortunate enough to keep up with that schedule. And then that gave me something to market besides my book. 
right? You know, yeah. you, you see on, on Twitter, everybody's like posting their links on these writer lists and stuff like that. And I felt kind mm -hmm. of like, gosh, I'm posting the same thing over and over again. Are people getting annoyed by this? And the answer, the answer is actually yes, that people are getting annoyed by it, um, which is why it's so great if we can keep it fresh. But, but yeah, yeah. I, 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 you responded to that. You said, I'm getting annoyed by it. And that's, that's where you got that question from. Are people getting annoyed by this? Is I'm getting annoyed by this. And instead of just being like, oh, it's, it's the way we have to do things, you came up with a different idea. So I, I don't publish the links to my, I, I still do. I'll, I'll, if I see a writer's mm -hmm. lift, but I try to restrict myself. I only jump into a writer's lift if it's someone I haven't followed yet. Yeah, so yeah. hopefully then I don't keep on hitting the same people's feeds over and over again and becoming annoying. Uh, when I have a new story, then I will like see like, you know, the, the big Twitter people, I'll jump into their lift and like say, Hey, I got a new story. And I'll do that once for the week. Right. And then, after that, I look for new people to share it with, try to get a new feed, spread myself out. So I don't hit the same people over and over again, because that, that is a concern. But then I've got like, you know, I cycle through, like I create like little cut and paste versions of my tweets that I can paste, you know, the last 10 stories. And so every day I'm posting 10 different links, not the same link over and over again. And again, posting it to new, to new people. And so my hope is that you know, I will get people to listen and that some of those people will subscribe and some of those people will keep listening. Yes. And then some of those people will share it with other people. And then when my book comes out, I've got a captive audience to promote it to people who already like my work. Yes. And I can say, Hey, thanks for listening to my story. Uh, I really would like it if you'd buy my new book. Here's the link in the description below and yeah. we'll see how that converts. Now it's a long-term plan. Mm -hmm. I don't expect that after this first three months that I'm going to be in a situation where I'm going to become a bestseller off of this. I, I kind of expect, you know, I'm looking long-term in terms of years. I've got yeah. a plan like um, every 26 stories, I'm going to package them up in an anthology. Mm -hmm. Right. And so there's another book that I wrote over the year without really trying. And so that that's the goal is to sort of create more material, put it out in a regular basis Give it out for free too. I think that's another important part too that writers yeah. sometimes hesitate doing. It's like mm -hmm. get people to read your stuff. Yeah. If they like it, they will buy it. Scott Sigler's books, they're all available on his podcast, but I go to audio, uh, mm -hmm. to Audible, and I buy his books because I like the convenience of that. And I want to support him too because he's yeah. someone I admire. He's someone who, who's done something really interesting. Actually, um, whenever I get a chance to, I'll like, point out that he's the one who inspired me and I got to be mm -hmm. the tweet of his week on his live, live stream last week. Nice. And so I got a shout out from him, which was really kind of cool because he's someone I admire. Yeah. That is such a powerful aspect of everything that, that you are doing um, that I aspire to do. And if you are listening to this podcast right now, please consider giving your work away for free. It doesn't cheapen you. It doesn't make you less of an author and it doesn't mean that your your work has any less value in fact it has more value because there's confidence in giving your work away for free so i, I love that you say that turning it toward the next thing is you're you're giving away your stories for free you're giving your novel away for free you're serializing it on a podcast you have a clear vision and you said it's kind of years in the making to working toward that bestseller um, what I hear you saying is you're going to write a bestseller. It's going to take a little while to get there as you see it now. Um, where are the most effective uh, places to go to 
get the word out there. We're both on Twitter. That's how we met. Um, But is Twitter in your mind, the most effective place for writers or are there a handful of places that you really want to have a presence? It doesn't, I I guess, I don't know if I'm at the level where it feels like that yet. I I see some people in the writer writing community, they have like 25,000 followers and they're saying, Oh, I sold almost a hundred books this month. I'm like thinking, okay, so 25,000 followers translates into a hundred book sales. That's, that's less than what 0.4%. Yeah, I'm, I'm bad at math, but it's really bad. I can it's, tell you yes, that. It's really low. <laughs> and I'm thinking, okay, because most of the people in the writing community are the writers. They're trying to sell their books too. Now, That's right. I make sure that I buy at least one independent book a week. That's my contribution. I, I hold my own writer's lift every week. I buy a book Wednesday. And I, for all the people who submit their links to me, I will pick one and I will actually buy it. Awesome. And so I think that's an important thing to do if we're going to be in this writing community to not just use each other to post our links. If we, yep. if we don't get any sales from it, it doesn't make any sense. Right. So I don't find it to be effective in that. I mean, I, I know writers who've been doing this for years. They've got 20 novels out there. They have a book release. They've got 25,000 followers. And then the, the day it gets released, it's crickets. And so it's like, okay, what else can you do? So I've got a Facebook page too. I know you're on Facebook. I haven't caught up here there much there yet yeah yeah but i'm sure we'll cross paths there and you know so that is a, another place where i'm trying to grow my audience as well and then i'm trying out the the ads have you ever tried out the facebook ads so far no and it's uh, largely where i'm at in my process of of building a platform yeah so i, I mean i'm giving it a try i'll spend like 10 15 bucks a week on an ad promoting my latest podcast episode okay and, I, and i'm targeting um, the people who have, who have liked my page and their friends. Yeah. So kind of like starting small and trying to grow that out. Okay. And, you know, I have seen like some days I'll get like, you know, a couple dozen downloads. I'll go, okay, okay what happened that day? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I yeah. do. Right. And it's really hard to figure out. Yeah. It really is. Sometimes, um, a post, you know, hits someone's stream and it gets a lot of impressions. Other times it doesn't at all. Yeah. I mean, the biggest post I've had on Facebook was one of those silly, you know, hey, what does this mean? Wrong answers only. Yeah. And, it, and it blew up. I get like almost 100,000 impressions on it, but I didn't wow. sell any books off of it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, because you, you have to target these things so much and they're, they're fun and it's really exciting. And as far as dopamine goes, it's a, it's a big injection of dopamine when 100,000 impressions comes your way. Yeah. But unless it's very targeted toward your audience, it doesn't produce that kind of result. And so you're, you're stuck in that moment of like, good people saw my name. Yeah. You can't overestimate the power of people just seeing your name in your face, but you're absolutely right. And I, and I think that, and well, that's, I mean, that's the other reason for the podcast, right? Cause Mm -hmm. the podcast I know is going to be a place where people are listening slash reading my work. So the more people I can get to the podcast, then that I feel is going to be the main channel where I can sell books. I mean, yes. you've heard, I've heard you talk about how, you know, most books sell, the average sale of a book is 500. That's a, that's a lot. I haven't sold 500 books yet, Yeah. but if I can get 500 listeners to my podcast and I can get half of them to buy the book, mm-hmm. then I'm halfway there to, to that yeah. point. Right. I know it's going to grow. I have that confidence that every time mm-hmm. I do this, it's going to continue to grow. And I think that's the other part that people need to do. They need to keep at it. When I was, when I was in television, when I went out to Hollywood, it's like, the process is you write spec scripts for shows. You write samples of different TV shows. Then you submit them to other TV shows and they see if they like your writing. And if they do, they may invite you in to talk about, but it's a, it's, it's a constant series of rejections. 
not as bad as acting, but it's still pretty, pretty brutal when you're getting started. I was fortunate enough to get a job on a TV show, work my way up to a writer's assistant, make some good friendships with actual writers. They were very supportive. Some couple served as mentors. I got opportunities to do scripts on, on various TV shows. And, uh, and that took a long time though. I mean, yeah. it took five or six years before I got to produce script. That's, that's right there. That's diligence. And diligence is one of the biggest things that it's not sexy to nobody's no. going to be like, Hey, that guy's got great diligence, but it's what gets you from A to B. But during that, that time period, more and more people read my work, right? Yeah. More and more people knew I wanted to be a writer. More and more people I knew moved on to different shows and presented opportunities and said, Hey, you can do this. You can do that. And so it, at a certain point, there was one job that we got based solely off of the quality of our work. You know, I was like, we, we had an agent and the agent sent our script off in a big slush pile of stuff. And the guys running the show read our script and said, oh, hey, this one's good. Hired us to do a script. And then off of that, we got hired to be the head writers on the new Adams family. And so that was kind of like one of those instances where you're like, oh, okay, now I'm set, right? Everything's going to go yeah. on. It's, it's going to nothing but roses from here on out. Then the network gets sold goes into different hands, all the executives you yeah. work with get fired, all your projects get shelved. And it's like, you got to start all over again. Yeah. So that was, you know, that was a point too in my life where then, you know, I got married, had a kid, started a family and my wife said, get a real job. So yeah. I had to do that. Uh-oh, uh-oh, the real job phrase. I hate the real job yeah. phrase. Yeah. 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 So, um, but then, you know, you, you can't stop writing. Once you start writing, you can't stop. So true. I mean, a, a writer writes. And so all during that time, I was kicking around ideas. I was still working on stuff with my writing partner. We were writing screenplays and stuff like that. And I started saying, you know what? I think I've got a novel. I mean, I had a couple ideas that I started and stopped and, and got to. And then one of them just kind of clicked. Yeah. And I, I wrote the book, um, really about 90% of it in like a few months. And then it took me like six months to the last 10%. You ever get in that situation where you're like, oh, this is going great. Everything's flowing. And then you get that sort of thing. It's like, okay, now what do I do? I, I don't, I can't get over this. I write, write a paragraph a day. And it's just like, nothing was flowing. Yes. And then eventually it clicks. It was after I wrote that book. Then I, I approached Arnold and Lloyd about collaborating on Near Death. And we did that one. And that, that actually became my, my sort of debut novel. Mm-hmm. I thought, you know, we can do this. We, all three of us can promote it. Uh, Lloyd has got, you know, a, a following as a parapsychologist, we can leverage that. Yeah. And so it was fairly successful. We, and we, like I said, we won an award for it too. And then I said, okay, now on the back of that, let me try my novel, which came out, got good reviews, mm-hmm. but it didn't become a bestseller. Like it should have. it should too don't yeah yeah there's no need to feel like a little bit like of that hesitance your book should be a bestseller you put the you put the energy and the work in um there's no question you're a great writer you wrote um for 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 tv which um anybody listening understands that's a huge huge accomplishment in and of itself yeah it is and and it's you know it's something i'm I'm really proud you know i think that my proudest moment though was when my my teenage son was watching reruns of star trek voyager and he saw my name he goes oh I guess you were a TV writer. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that wasn't part of his, you know, my TV life, my TV work was not part of his life. He was born after that. Mm. So he just knew me as, you know, just dad. Yeah. And then yeah. Uh, he, he became a fan of the show. I said, Oh, did you see my episode yet? And he goes, What? 
<laughs> so yeah, so wrote an episode of Star Trek Voyager. Really dumb question, but for for people who love Star Trek, did you get to meet Scott Bakula? Um, this was Voyager, so this was. Know, oh, uh, you're right. Oh my gosh, I'm thinking Enterprise. I'm going to cut that. I'm going to edit it out. Don't even worry about it. No, don't but, because I actually uh, have Scott Bakula. <laughs> oh, well, great. That. I love Scott Bakula. <laughs> when I when I was working on a TV show, um, I was working on uh, a different world. Okay. Uh, the Cosby show spinoff. We'll talk about Cosby. But <laughs> yeah, we'll not talk about him. <laughs> <laughs> but we had like a, a inter um, network softball league. So the different TV shows had softball teams and we would have a league and we would play once in a while and we would play Quantum Leap at that time. Oh, and Scott was one of the one of the actors who actually played on the team. He was like one of the stars. Wow, that's so cool. And so we played against Quantum Leap. And then after the game, I came up to him and I said, hi, really big fan friend of mm. mine is like a huge fan can i get an autograph he goes well i don't have anything i said eh, just he signed this scrap of paper and he was really nice about it and i was like that's cool wow this is nice yeah and uh you know so whenever you got to meet somebody like that it was really kind of cool mm-hmm. so yeah met scott Bakula, but not that's from cool. star trek yeah yeah wrong, wrong show but you're right okay i can't edit it out now you forced me to keep it in <laughs> um i i know another guy who who does a podcast that i talk with from time to time and he is going to shame me for mixing up my star trek shows so uh oh yeah yeah, we'll, we'll deal with that then, but uh, that's great. So I, I want to dive in now again to the, the podcast. What kind of results are you seeing from starting the podcast? Is it something that you would recommend to other writers who want to help supercharge their platform? Give me, I guess, give me your tips on what you think will make it successful. And I know you're already doing something unique and that it's an audio book in yeah podcast form but I want to say it's it's more than just an audiobook too i mean i do produce a short story every week too so it's like a brand new story self-contained in addition yes. to so like those are on sundays and on wednesdays i drop more chapters of the audiobook so i've got both of those tracks running and i didn't start off that way i started off with just the audio stories and then i added the audiobook later on and i think the key is consistency if you're going to do, and you didn't, you know this, you have a schedule, right? On this day yep. a week, I release this podcast on this yep. day, I do another one. Yep. And you have to keep to that schedule. When I, when I listen to podcasts, right, I'm, I'm looking for that weekly or daily hit from that particular podcast. Yeah. So when I don't get it, I forget it. Right. Yeah. It kind of like drops to the, the bottom of your list. And the next time it comes, you go, oh, yeah, I forgot about that guy. I'll move yeah. on to something new. So I think if you're going to try and do something like that, you have to be consistent. You have to mm-hmm. produce work in a regular fashion. You have to offer them something to come back for week after week, day after day. Um, yeah. In terms of my personal success here, it is going slow. But I do see that, you know, when I started off, it would like, you know, there'd be some days when nobody would tune in. Now every day I'm getting at least some listeners mm-hmm. and I'm seeing, you know, the numbers on the stories the average numbers go up. Hmm. So every day I'm seeing just a little bit of improvement and it's like, okay, I can, if I can grow this much month over month, and you made a great point about this, about, you know, the Facebook challenge, right? Mm -hmm. Just engage and get people involved and increase your followers. So I know just like in Twitter, growing followers is just a slog, right? Yes. But the more you do it, the more people will discover you, the more people will follow you, the more people will listen, the more you get recommended to. Yeah. So as my podcast is evolving, I'm like, I've got, you know, I've got a long-term plan. Like I mentioned, I'm mm-hmm. going to do a story a week. I'm going to serialize my books every week. And then at a certain point, I'm going to take all, you know, 26 stories and bundle them into an anthology twice a year. 
And I've got that going for me. And then the other part of it is that I know that uh, at some point, someone is going to recognize it and put it on their podcast or post mm. about it or link it. And that's going to like blow it up, right? That'll take you yeah. to that next level. You never know when that's going to happen. You don't know how it's going to happen. But I have confidence that it will happen, that someone will hear it and say, oh, this is fun. I'm going to share yeah. this link. And then they're going to, you're going to get a big influence of liter- listeners, and then they're going to share it with people. And so I'm confident in that particular fashion. I've seen it work. You know, Scott Sigler, like I mentioned, that's how he got started, right? He just started giving away his stuff for free in podcast form. And over years, he grew up a following and he got a you know contract from Random House. And so it became like a big deal. He's actually written one of the um, uh, alien books. Oh, really? Okay. Book that's in the awesome. alien canon. Mm-hmm. So it's, you know, it, it really sort of like turned out well for him. I'm like going, but it, yeah. it didn't happen in like the first three months. It didn't happen the first year. Right. It didn't happen the first two years, probably. Mm-hmm. So I'm looking at this as like, the, the, other, the other thing I really love about doing the podcast too is reading your work out loud is like one of the tips I give to any new writers. Mm. You, Absolutely. you have to hear the book in your voice out loud, not in your head, especially when you're proofreading, right? Have you ever done yes. that before? You're proofreading something and you think, oh, this is perfect. And you show it to someone else. Mm-hmm. They go, oh, like you've got a missing word here. You've got this and that because your brain fills that stuff in for you. Yeah. All of, all of the tiny ones, like the word from versus form, um, there's there's words that are words and you accidentally transpose and you see it because your brain just knows what you meant to write. So Yeah, exactly. It's terribly. Reading valuable. it out loud forces your brain to use the different parts when you're yep. doing that. And so you, you, you discover things that aren't right grammatically. You also discover phrasings that are awkward, sentences that run on, dialogue that just plain sucks. Yes, and exactly. If you can't speak it like it's just real fluid, you know that's not dialogue. Yeah. Yeah, I find that all the times when I'm recording my story, I'll read a line and I read it out loud one way, but it's different on the page. And I go, oh, well, I should change that because yeah. that's, not how it's, that's not how it's supposed to be. The way I, way I read it is how it's supposed to be because that's what sounds right in my brain right now. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's, um, it's re- I think it's really, really a uh, great exercise for anyone who wants yeah. to do it. And, and you can't, you can't also say, yeah, I don't have a good enough voice for this. Hmm. I think that would, because there's all sorts of different voices in audiobooks. I don't know how, how much you read, but I read like lots of different voices. Yes. Audiobooks. There's one reader named Scott Brick and <laughs> he's done a lot of big books, but man, I found his voice so sad. Hmm. He, <laughs> whenever he's reading, it's just like, He's always so sad. And he's like, his intonations are like, I can't stand listen to you anymore. So he, he's got, he read a couple of my favorite books by Stephen R. Donaldson. And I'm like, I want to listen to these, but it's Scott Brick. Mm-hmm. I don't know if I'm going to enjoy it. So even though he's a professional, it's like, you know, people have different tastes. Now so, is Donaldson Lord Fowles Bane? Is that the same guy? Yes. Okay. So I just read that. I'd never read him before. A oh, friend it of, is brilliant, isn't it? Yeah. A friend of mine gave it to me it may be 20 years ago that he gave me that book. We were working together at a manual hospital here in Omaha. And uh, he said, you're going to love this book. And I am, I read so much. I read a ridiculous amount and I just never picked it up for whatever reason. And I, I saw it on the shelf the other night and I was like, okay, I'm going to give it a shot. Yeah. Really tough book to read. I do yeah. want to give a disclaimer that yeah, the, you need the a character, dictionary. at least. Yeah. Well, in the character in that novel is 
is um, not an admirable guy, at least in the first Mm -hmm. book. And so that is really difficult. There's a particular scene I'm thinking of, and I I don't want to spoil anything for non-readers, but wow, really tough. Um, But yeah, I just was so, I was so excited about that. And it's fun uh, how life will like circle back on you and you're talking about him right now. Yeah. That character, I mean, that character, the whole, um, you know, Wizard of Oz type of premise to it, you know, stranger to strange land thing. But to me, what I, I tell people about it is it's the most original work of fiction of, of fantasy since the hobby. Mm. Yeah. Okay. I, I, it, I think I believe that I'm not as well read in fantasy, but that rings true to me. It is so original. It is. And it, it's, it's not your typical wizards and elves and dwarves mm. and stuff like that. There are giants in it, but the, the mm. giants are of a whole different uh, feel magic and realm and, and, and personalities and, and their, their lore is completely different from any giants you've met before. Yeah. And it's just, it really is fascinating the way he created something so new and with mm. such an anti-hero character that you do want to read and you want to re- And when you finish the first book, you want to go on to the second book mm-hmm. and like he's done three cycles of this, of this character. Um, the, the Chronicles of Thomas Covenant, the unbeliever mm-hmm. and yeah, some of my favorite books though. I, it was great when they came out on Kindle. Cause then I could use the Kindle to look up books, the words <laughs> as I'm reading instead of having to have my dictionary. Yeah. It really, it really, it is a book you have to read with a dictionary next to you because mm-hmm. a lot of learn a lot of new words. Yeah. I enjoy that. I enjoy a, an author who's not afraid of, of using a large lexicon and challenging readers. My way into this particular world was through David Foster Wallace. I don't know if you're familiar with him or read his work, but he is, considered by many to be pretentious and probably he was um, I just fell in love with his stories and his world and his mind. But yes, that is truly, you cannot read his books without a dictionary and like the, 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 the official dictionary uh, <laughs> cause he digs deep. And then, but at the same time, he's got characters who are uh, doing gangland violence in Chicago and he's really faithful to their way of speaking. Also, it's, it's kind of cool to see anyways, uh, that's neither here nor there. Um, Okay, so podcast is not a magic key, which we both no. know that. It's not It's not uh, suddenly made you famous, especially, I think, and not especially, but the way that you're doing it, where the majority of everything you do is going to be your voice reading your work, your short stories, your novel. It's not necessarily a portal for access, but what it does do is deliver you the chance to get your voice, your voice. And this is where I want to land this your voice in your reader's ears. I think that it's easy to underestimate the power of that specific thing that when I listen to rich talk, I'm starting to build a relationship with you. And in 37 minutes right now, I feel like we're friends, which is an illusion. I don't know you, but I feel real friendly toward you because your voice has been in my ears for all this time. And the things you're saying are interesting to me. And you can't do that with a novel quite the same way you can do it, but it's not quite the same. So talk it, about that a little bit. Yeah. And what you just said reminds me of like, you know, the, the friends you make on Twitter, right? It's like, <laughs> you don't know these people. They're on different parts of the world that you just yeah, know yeah. them 140 characters at a time, if that. Yeah. And it's just a strange thing, but I, yeah, I, I, I can't stress that enough. I, I really, I search out independent writers who have recorded their own audiobooks, and those go to the top of my list. I just really love hearing the work back from the author in their own voice. There's an, another podcast that I contribute to uh, called As Read By Me. And uh, it's this guy and he collects stories that the authors read, stories, poems, and essays. 
And so he does a, a biweekly podcast and he, the whole thing, the whole hook for it is like, this is read by the authors. It's not read by him. He produces it. He puts it all together. He packages it up really nicely, but it's work read by the author. When you read, when you listen to it, you're like going that I, I don't can't imagine this being read by anyone else. Yeah. And you get to, you get to know what the person is. One guy who does these great sort of, um, reminiscent stories about the place where he grew up on the, I think like, uh, I think it was Atlantic city or near Atlantic city, some sort of place with a boardwalk near the beach and stuff, a small beach town type of thing. Mm-hmm. And, you know, he, you tell the stories and he's, he's like this older guy and you can just imagine him, you know, sitting in the, on the front porch telling you these stories. And it's just like, yeah, I want to hear the next thing from this guy. I want, mm-hmm. you know, if he had his own podcast, I would subscribe to that one. Yeah. Because you, you do, like you said, you make that connection. When you hear the voice, when you hear someone talking, yes, uh, it does sort of reach out. Because when you read someone else's work, right, you're projecting yourself into the work. And exactly. that works for a lot of books. I mean, my, my other novel, the, the Dead Kids Club, I wrote in first person. Mm-hmm. Uh, present tense so that you would feel oh, like wow. it was yeah. you going through. I was just about process. to say, that's like the ultimate. Yeah, you are suddenly that person for yeah. sure. And the, the other fun thing I did in that book too is I never say the character's name. Mm. He, you, So you never know the guy's name. So it's like, it's you, you're reading, you're saying, I did this. I, I went here, I'm doing this. I'm like, you know, I'm driving this ice pick in this guy's skull. It's <laughs> <Which> like, <laughs> it's, it's a huge challenge. I don't know. I mean, if anybody's ever tried to write first person present tense without naming a character, those are three whammies all to their, yeah. their selves. So, you know, congrats on doing that. That's amazing. Well, it, and it, but it, my point was what I wanted the readers in that case to put themselves into the book. Yeah. I wanted them to, to do that. But then when I read the audio version, you can hear what it's like for me. Cause it is a very personal story. It's about, uh, you know, man whose son is killed in a drunk driving accident and he decides with his ex-wife to kill the guy who killed their son. I'm not giving it away by saying that that's the premise of the book. That's what I'm selling it on. Right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But it, and it, it was, you know, it was one of those weird stories that was inspired by a dream. I had a nightmare wow. about that, that particular situation. And oh, then geez. I woke up from it and felt so real. And then almost, almost instantly it became a, a, a I gotta, I gotta write this book. Wow. You know, that kind of a situation. So when I read it, you're hearing my projection into the character, what I would feel, how I would do, how I would react to certain things. And that creates a different type of connection. So yeah, I'm hoping that that sort of like, you know, gets you, like you said, they create a personal relationship. It's an illusion. Mm-hmm. But when I listen to Scott Sigler, when I listen to anybody who does a podcast, like, yeah. you know, listen to you, I go, oh yeah, we could hang out. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah. <be> <laughs> and, and you, you sort of, you know, get that sort of illusion of friendship and the illusion of, of intimacy. And I, I don't want it to be an illusion. I want it to actually be there. Yes. And so, yeah, creating the podcast. The other thing I, I, I my, one of my other strategies for the podcast is that I don't see a lot of writers doing this. Hmm. I don't see a lot of writers recording their own work, you know, as audiobooks. They hire somebody or they, you know, do an audition on Audible or something like that. I don't see a lot of, fiction podcast where it's somebody reading their own stories. There are a few people out there doing yeah. it mm-hmm. and they, and, but they blend it with like other stuff. They'll like say, Oh, it's my weekly podcast. I'm going to read a story for you today. Mm-hmm. And then they read the story and then you move on to something else. But yeah. mine is purely a fiction podcast. Mm-hmm. I just want people, I just want to entertain people. Yeah. And that's my television roots too. I don't, I, I write stories. I hope that are entertaining that mm-hmm. you can listen to and sort of like, go, Oh, that was fun. 
Yeah. Um, the anthology I'm going to make from this, a series of books, is, is going to be called Bedtime Stories for Insomniacs because they're like these perfect 10-minute reads that you can read at bedtime and finish the story and then go to sleep and like maybe have nightmares from it. But <laughs> that's the time you'll be entertained and have that kind of feeling to it. And the other inspiration for this, too, is, is um, you may not be old enough to remember this, but there was a radio show in the 70s on CBS called the CBS Radio Mystery Theater. And if you ever get a chance to look it up, there's like people have put it on YouTube and there's podcasts of it and stuff like that. It was like this 50 minute radio dramatization of different stories of tales of suspense and mystery and so forth. And I listened, I used to listen as a kid. And I thought, God, I, I really kind of miss that. I miss falling asleep to these stories, which was, you know, uh, a shame because I would actually often fall asleep uh, during the story and not hear the end. So it's always a struggle <laughs> yeah. to, to do that. Now that they're available on, on the internet, it's nice to go back and sort of rehear those. Yeah. But if you listen to um, one of my early podcasts, um, I explained that as my inspiration for this too, because it was mm. like really cool opening, right? It was like this, this mysterious music and then the yeah. evening, and then you hear this creaking door, welcome, come in. Mm-hmm. And it's like all of these sort of like the, the host was E.G. Marshall, who was like one of the classic, actor from uh, mm-hmm. like the 50s and 60s has this really great voice that's sort of yeah. like friendly but also kind of spooky when he wants mm-hmm. to be yeah. and i thought you know I, i'd love for for this podcast to be something like that too yeah. that people can come to and be entertained even if they never buy my book they'll remember this they'll tell their friends about it yeah i think that's a, a beautiful insight into everything that we're doing um I can say for myself, and it sounds to me like you're in a better spot than I am here, but I, I have not bought as many books as I should by authors that I want to support even. Um, but I look at my own life and I know I need to make ends meet. So that's the truth. I need to, I need to make money, but there is a really big part of me right now that's starting to embrace the reality that a lot of the best work that I ever do, I'm ultimately going to give away. I'm going to give it away. And I'm going to find other ways to, to bring money in the door. That's a journey. I don't know exactly where that's going to land, but what you're saying right now, I think is that same philosophy of, I want you to have my art because I made it for you. I didn't make it for myself. I know it's a really popular thing that, that writers say, or that, that writing professors say like, write for yourself, but we're not the best of us aren't. And I'm, I'm comfortable putting that flag, planting that flag in the ground and saying, I'm writing what I want you to know. And if that's fiction, I want to entertain you. Um, or I want to teach you a lesson and entertain you, whatever it might be. That's what we're doing. And we're willing to just give it away. You ever turn on the TV and stick a buck in, in the, in the, you know, TV to get it to play for you. No, you're exactly right. I mean, same thing, listening to the radio, right? You can, you can listen to all sorts of songs and not pay a dime. I just want to say another thing in terms of supporting artists too. Yeah. A lot of times they will put their book out there for free, hoping to get a lot of, you know, free sales, get themselves bumped up on the charts. And I always, always download free audiobooks. Yes. Someone puts it up there. I'm going to go there. I want to bump their numbers up. If yes. they have a 99 cent audiobook that I'm marginally interested in, I'll say, you know what? I'll spend a Take buck on that. Um, because I want to them to sort of have that kick in the butt, right? That's sort of yeah. like, okay, someone bought my book. I can yes. keep on going, right? That sort of inspiration to keep on moving forward. And if you, even if it's just a buck every other week or download all the free audiobooks you can find mm-hmm. from independent authors, then you're doing something, right? Because yeah. I, I mean, 
I'm in, I think I'm in a better position than some authors in that I do have a day job and a part-time night job where I can make enough money that I can indulge in this, right? I can buy the equipment to do the podcast. I can spend the time to, you know, to do it. I can, uh, I recently started adding sound effects to my stories too. So adding yeah. a little production quality to it and sort of, and then my next step is to sort of like find a theme song. Like it's, it's cause yeah. everything that's missing from my podcast right now is there's no theme song. Yeah. I think, I think once I have a theme song, it's really going to take off. <laughs> there you uh, go. That's so anybody theme, listening right? right now, if you want to help Rich with the theme song, please, he's <laughs> given you so much for free. Just reach out to him and let him know how you can help. <laughs> yeah. And it's, and so I'm, 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 you know, every week I try to sort of just up, up my game in some way, you yeah. know, I like, uh, just recently, I sort of, I, I discovered my catchphrase. It's like, you know, it's, let me tell you a story. And so each podcast starts off with, hi, welcome to the Rich Ozick podcast. Let me tell you a story, a story about a woman at the intersection of fear and loss. And it's like, <laughs> okay, this is a great hook. This is something I yeah. can do for every story. I can sort of make that my sort of thing and start, you know, branding it. I know, I know yeah. it's kind of weird to think about branding yourself as a writer, but I think you have to. Yeah, I think you have to sum that you have to sort of get over that uncomfortability yep. and just sort of say, you have to sell yourself. Mm -hmm. You have to sell yourself in order to sell yourself. You have to be in front of people. Yeah. Now, a lot of writers will say, well, my book's in front of people. I don't have to be in front of people. Mm -hmm. Okay. Yeah. That's great. And in, in, in rare situations, someone will shop a book around. It'll get into a bidding war, become a bestseller. Yeah. Right. And that's very, very, very occasionally. I mean, the same thing happened in Hollywood. You'd hear the stories about some guy who, oh yeah, I spent the summer writing my first screenplay and now it's like being in a bidding war for a million dollars. It's like, okay, good for you. But exactly. how do I get into the business, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, the slow, steady, just faithful, hardworking way. Yeah, we all want to be in Oprah's book club, yeah. but there's only a few books who make that every year, right? Yeah. It's not like it's, it's a situation where you can, you're guaranteed success just because you write a really, really, really good book. Right. It just isn't. I yeah. wish it was. I want to echo that just because you write a really, really, really good book does not guarantee you success. There are a lot of writers out there and me, I was included in this group for a long time. I went, I went to six years of school. I got my master's of fine arts and fiction writing. I was, I knew for sure, like what I was writing was good. Um, but nobody knew my name. So I'm sitting here with a literary agent and I have not sold my book. And that's the reason why. And I do have regret. I will be honest. Some people are like, I'm going to live life regret free. I'm not there. I regret that I didn't build a platform for myself earlier because we wouldn't be in the situation if I did. Well, I, I mean, that's something that I've discovered too. I mean, when, when I, when I did the near death with Arnold and, and Lloyd, I thought, well, between the three of us, we can get to a thousand sales easy, right? Yeah. Yeah. We, we, I mean, we hit hundreds, but yeah, you know, we didn't get over that hump that sort of like really put you in the spotlight. Yeah. So we're going to try it again and again Good, yeah. and again until we get there. Yeah. And it really, it, it is the, the, the platform building is something, yeah, that's new to me too. Right. Mm -hmm. When you're in television, your platform just has to be the people in the business. Yep. You don't have to go out and sell the audience because there's already an audience waiting for this. Yes. Yeah. That's a huge distinction. And I really appreciate that you said that I think about TV and film all the time is that they are the people who don't have to build. It's like naturally given to them and, but they did a lot of hard work to get there. So yeah. anyway, keep going. Sorry. Yeah. So, you know, coming from that background, I, was, I just thought, Oh, well, you know, 
I've got TV credits. People are obviously going to see that and say, oh, well, I definitely want to read his book. But that doesn't yeah. happen. Yeah. And yeah. building a platform too. As I, and that's what, when I, when I discovered Scott Sigler and what he had done with his podcast, mm. I said, I can do that. Yes. And there's not a lot of people doing that. There's a, there's a million people on Twitter. There's a million people on Facebook. There's a million people, you know, selling ads in different magazines and doing all that kind of stuff. But there is not a huge glut of writers writing good stories, mm. recording them with good production values and putting them for free as a podcast. Yeah. There just isn't. So there's, there's an opening there. Now it's, it's my challenge to sort of like exploit that opening while it's there. Yeah. Like yeah. if I can, if I, you know, Scott Sigler did it, he's been doing this, I think since uh, 2004, you know, he's like, you know, he's, he's got a, a big platform. He's got a lot of devoted fans. He's got a hundred thousand reviews on audible. He's got like, you know, he's got his platform nailed, but it took him yeah. over a decade to build it, to get it that big. Mm. So I'm, I'm saying, okay, he did it. That path exists and it's not crowded. There's not a lot of people doing this. And I'm not afraid of giving this advice to people either too. I'm like saying, yeah, you, everybody should do this, right? Yeah, exactly. Because the more people who do it, then the more popular fiction podcasts will become mm-hmm. and the easier it will be to grow your audience and the more audience there will be for all of us. Yep. And then we, we create sort of this whole new ecosystem, a new way to build a platform. Yeah. And I think that's, that's my goal anyway with this. It's like, that's, I think it, I, th- I think it's going to work. It I really work. believe that. It will work. Yeah, it for sure will work. And it's been uh, amazing to have a conversation with you. Um, I, I, I want to enforce, reinforce that it is working because you and I met because of what you're doing, the strategies that you're taking to build your platform, to market yourself, to build your brand. I saw you and I thought, this guy's really interesting and he's a little bit different than I see a lot of it. Because, you know, hearkening back to earlier in the conversation, there are people who just pop a link wherever they can, buy my book, buy my book, buy my book. They're like a robot and I don't care about them and I ignore them. You were different. You engaged with me in a way that I stopped and wanted to engage back with you. Um, and, and that's huge. So yeah, you're going to succeed. I don't know if it's going to be in three months or tomorrow you'll wake up and be shocked at your download numbers. I have no clue, but I'm glad to be on a little bit of this journey with you. I love that the people who are listening to my podcast right now are going to hear you. Please go out, listen to his podcast. Where can they find you, Rich? So it's the podcast is called Written by Rich Hosek. It's available on Apple, Google, Spotify, uh, iHeartRadio, all the major podcast platforms. It's also on Audible. So you can go to Audible and listen to it for free there. So if you're an audiobook fan, just add that to your library and you'll get my podcast every week. Um, I also uh, contribute to, like I mentioned, the As Read By Me podcast. So that one's, you can find it as read, as read by me.com, unsurprisingly. And um, go to my website, richhosick.com. Follow me on Twitter at Rich Hosick and look me up on Facebook at Written by Rich Hosick. Beautiful. I love how you streamlined it. Uh, I, I expect that we'll, we'll get a little bit of stuff coming your direction. And I'm, I'm glad to be part of that, like I said. Um, so yeah, it's wonderful. Thanks for listening today. And remember, you should never feel bad for telling your truth. So get out there and write. And if you've got a killer story, apply to be a guest on our show. Email me at jodyjsperling at gmail.com or find me on Facebook, Jody J. Sperling. And hey, there's no point in telling stories if nobody's listening. <laughs>